This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Amen. Merry Christmas, everybody. I, I'm so excited. I love Christmas. Christmas, I mean, I wish I could have told you back in August, Merry Christmas, but today is December 1st, which means it's official. Thanksgiving is over. It was delicious. Thank you, Jesus, for food. And now we get to celebrate Christmas. And I said back in June, I believe this last summer was going to be the best summer we ever had as a church. And here's the thing that I didn't realize. Last summer has just bled right into this year because I believe this fall has probably been the best fall we've ever had as a church. And I just want to share with you some signs that this could be, in fact, the best fall we've ever had. This past Sunday, 27 people got baptized at this church. Isn't that incredible? 27 people. That's, that's the most people who have ever been baptized in one day in the history of new life. So you're here at an incredible time. 600 of us, over 600 of us were here to celebrate baptisms on Sunday. So our church is just, God's doing some incredible stuff. Some of you were here for the first or second time and you came forward and you were baptized, which was just absolutely amazing. And this Christmas is going to be nothing less than exceptional. God's got some great stuff for us. Uh, His desire is that we would experience him with a a newness and a freshness and excitement that maybe we never even have before, that that in the midst of the busyness of Christmas, of all the activities, of all the great opportunities we have, that there'd be something that draws us into this place to slow down to really encounter God. And so if you're here with us today and it's your first time, I want to say welcome. You could not have picked a better time to be at our church because it's the best time we've ever had as a church. God's doing some incredible stuff. If you're here because you're visiting family for Thanksgiving, or maybe you're an out-of-town guest, an extra special welcome to you. We hope that anytime you're in the area, you would choose to join us and be with us because we love sharing life with you. And if you're here for the first time and you're just kind of checking out this whole faith thing, I want to say welcome to you. We created this church to be a place where you could come. It would be safe. We'd take down all the pretenses, all the walls, and open up as many doors as we could for you to really encounter God. And so if you're here today and you're just kind of questioning things, I want you to know we created this church for you. So get comfortable. And I would just say as much as you can, take down your own personal barriers and open yourself up to encounter God. Uh, We believe that your presence here is a gift, and so I don't want to forget this because I do sometimes, and it's sad. Um, We have an incredible guest gift for you. So if you're a first-time guest and you haven't gotten the gift, or maybe last week was your first time and I forgot to tell you about it, listen, these gifts are so good that sometimes new lifers who have been here for 10 years, they say, well, I never got my gift when I first came. Can I just like have one? I'll be walking out. I'm like, "You're, you're on like our senior leadership team. You're not a guest, but the gifts are that good. They just, they can't stop. So listen, that's how good it is. If you're driving home somewhere, maybe you're an out-of-town guest, there's a cup in there so you can stay hydrated. There's just really good stuff. So I don't want to spoil everything, but Merry Christmas. It begins today. Just so we're all in the same playing field, because we don't want to have kind of in-groups and out-groups, everyone should have gotten a program when they came in today. In your program are things that we're all going to use. The first one is this card that says Start Here. It's our connection card. Go ahead and grab it. Put your name on it. And if you're a regular, that's all We ask, if you're a guest with us today, just give us as much information as you're comfortable with. We won't abuse it. We just want to connect with you. We assume that on some level you want to connect with this community, and hopefully at some point on this journey you'll want to connect with God. And our goal is to help you connect with God, connect with people. And we're going to be using these a little bit later. So fill that out. 
You're going to want to grab uh, your teaching notes because they'll tell you where I'm going today. All the Bible verses I'm going to be teaching on are in there, and they'll just help you on this journey. Well, we are starting a brand new series called Like a Child, Like a Child. And the reason we decided to do this is, if you've ever stopped to think about it, Jesus, who walked on this earth some 2,000 years ago, and we're going to celebrate his birth at Christmas time, Jesus only had three years where he was doing kind of this public ministry, where he was teaching and preaching and healing people. And, and in those three and a half years, as I read through the biographies of Jesus' life and Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, I realized that Jesus spent an exorbitant amount of time with kids. He only had three years to change the history of the world. And in those three years, he spent a lot of time wrestling with kids, playing with kids, telling stories to kids, um, praying for children, and then telling people that they needed to, to be like kids. Notice what he says in Luke chapter 8. Jesus is talking to a group of people, and all of a sudden it says in Luke eight fifteen that people started bringing babies to Jesus. As he's doing this teaching, they started bringing these babies to Jesus so that he could put his hands on them, because the context was he was praying for them and blessing them. And then his disciples, his followers, they saw this, and they rebuked the people. They said, get the, get the kids away from Jesus. He's a very important person. But Jesus called the children to himself. And he said this, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, because the kingdom of God, because life with God, because what it looks like to follow God, the kingdom of God belongs to children. And then in verse 17, he says, truly I tell you, Anyone, everyone, all people, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God, like a little child, will never enter it. I don't know about you, but I love experiencing things for the first time. My wife, Maria, grew up in Illinois in a little town of about 9,000 people. And I remember the first year we were married, we decided to do Christmas in Illinois. And I told you last week, I grew up down by Pasadena, Southern California, 80-degree Christmas. I went to Illinois, and it was like eight degrees. Snow everywhere, freezing cold, and I, I loved it. We went out sledding one day with Maria's eight brothers and sisters who were all in town. We went out sledding one day, and when we'd go to the mountains, it would be like 50 degrees and snow, so we'd have snowball fights and all this kind of stuff, and this was my first really cold winter, so I picked up a snowball, and I threw it at one of my sisters-in-law. We'd been married for a few months at this point, maybe two or three, and I hit her right in the face. The only exposed area in her entire body was right here, right in the face. And she gave me a look to let me realize, you know what, we don't throw snowballs in the Midwest when it's eight degrees. We just don't do that. And then we were driving home, and we were a few blocks away from the house, and I was in kind of a grown-up onesie, you know, those big snow things that they have. And uh, I said, hey, drop me off, because I want to walk the rest of the way. And they looked at me like I was crazy. It's eight degrees. I said, this is, this is beautiful. So whatever, they were happy to, you know. And they, they kicked me out of the car, and I started walking home. And I got to the front lawn, snow everywhere. And it was, it was this, it, maybe you've never felt this before, but there was this silence where everyone in their right mind was inside, and all the animals were hunkered down, and it was just silence. So so I laid down on the grass in the front lawn, and I made a snow angel. And then I just, I laid there, and I looked up at the blue sky for about five minutes. And then I realized that one of my family members must have walked by the front window and seen me laying out there. And he called all the rest of the family. 
So I looked over to the house, and all of my brothers and sisters-in-law and my in-laws were just staring through the window at me like, you are insane. But for me, it was this really special moment because I was, I was experiencing something for the first time. I'd never felt cold like that. I'd never had quiet like that. Southern California is not known for quiet, and it's not known for cold, and I, I absolutely loved it. See, Jesus, he grabbed a group of kids, and he said, if you really want to know what it means to follow me, it means that you do it like a child, that you experience life with a newness, with a wonder, with an excitement. Remember, we talked about baptism is it's dying to an old way of living and being raised to a new life last week. And in that new life, we start to experience it like children. We unlearn certain things and we learn other things. And there's a wonder and an excitement to it. And so Jesus grabs these kids and he puts them on his lap and he's rubbing their hair. And he says, if you want to follow me, you have to do it like a child. So this series, as we head into Christmas, we're going to look at what it it means to follow Jesus in some key areas like a child, because God's great desire is that as you enter into a relationship with him, you would experience a life of wonder and excitement that you had when you were a child. My wife, Maria, she's really good at crafts and things with our kids. We have a five-year-old and a two-year-old, and she loves doing crafty things with them, so they can stay home for hours and just do crafts. But I'm not really a crafty guy. I'm not super creative and that kind of thing. And so sometimes Maria goes away. She's working at a conference or, or she's just gone for a weekend and it's dad time. And the kids know when dad time comes, it's adventure time because I cannot sit at my house all day and, and color. I just, I'm not that good at it. And, um, and so my kids, when Maria's gone, they wake up every morning and they run into the bedroom and they pull the pillow off my head and, and they say, dad, what are we going to do today? What's the adventure we're going to have today? And I always have a plan. In the morning, we have a morning adventure, then it's lunch and naps, and then an afternoon adventure, and then dinner, and then I pass out and they go to bed. That's kind of the way that it works. And, and there's something about my kids and their dad where they just know if dad is with us today, it's adventure time. And the life that Jesus wants us to have is a life where we would wake up every morning and say to God, who, who's our heavenly father, we would say, dad, what's the adventure today? Dad, what do you have for me today? Dad, where do you want to lead me today? Dad, what do you want to show me today? See, it's anything but mundane. It is, it's an incredible life of excitement and wonder. One of the greatest gifts of Christmas is that for even the, the, the kind of the most um, grown-up of us, Christmas produces in us this wonder again, this excitement again. And so we want to look at that as we head towards Christmas Eve and then Christmas Day. We want to look at the idea of this, of this wonder, because I think our lives could use some wonder. So we're doing this series, and, and what I want you to do, as much as you can, is as we engage with these three topics we're going to talk about over the next three weeks, I want you to put away your, your grown-upness, And I want you to start to ask questions like a child. See, kids ask questions expecting that mom and dad have all the answers. My my daughter's five, and like I said, Landon is two and a half, and and they're in this really, um, some would call it fun phase, others would call it obnoxious phase, kind of depends. I think it's really fun, where they ask why all the time. Dad, why? Dad, why? Dad, why? why? Why are we doing that? Dad, why, why do I have to do that? Which then I give him the incredible uh, deep answer, because I said so. That's why you have to do that. 
But in my better moments, I explain it because I realize my kids are asking their dad why because they expect that their dad has the best possible answer. Dad, why is the sky blue? Dad, why are those Christmas lights white and those ones multiple colors? Dad, Dad, why does that bird make that sound? And then they, they just expect that dad knows the answer. See, kids ask questions why with this great assumption, but grown-ups, we do one of two things. We either stop asking why. Why do we do things the way we do them? Why do we, why do we work this way? Why do we come to church and do church the way we do it? They either stop asking why and they just go through the motions, or they ask why, assuming that, that the person who is telling them the answer has got it wrong. They question them. Well, why are you making me do that? Well, why do we have to do this? What I want us to do is I want us to ask why like kids. Because kids just expect that dad has the answer. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about worship today. And I want us to ask this question. Why do we worship? What? Think about it. If you were brand new coming into church, and maybe some of you are, and you had this experience, you come into a room, the lights are kind of down, there are words up on a screen, a few people are raising their hand, a lot of people are singing, some people are hugging, there might be someone crying over in the corner. And you think to yourself, why are, why are they doing this? There's not a football game on, and yet people have their hands in the air. What's going on? And so I was asking some people this week, why do we worship? And the answers were varied, and I realized we, we talk a lot about how we should worship, but we don't really get into why we should worship. And in this beginning of this series, I want to talk about why we worship, because why we worship influences how we worship. And I want to do it by talking about a group of slaves in the very beginning of the Bible. And these group of slaves are the Jewish people. I'll refer to them as God's people, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, all these different phrases for the same group of people. And the Bible starts off with the book of Genesis. And Genesis runs straight through how God created the world and then called a group of people to himself. And it ends with this group of people, the Jewish people, going into Egypt. And they found favor with the Egyptian pharaoh, the king. And they lived kind of with him and they grew and they prospered to close to maybe a million people. The nation got huge from one guy and one gal who God gave a promise, this nation of Israel got huge. And that's where Genesis ends. They have favor with the Pharaoh. And then Exodus picks up with a new Pharaoh. And the people have grown. But this Pharaoh, he hasn't, uh, he doesn't like the Jewish people. He's afraid of them. He's sure that if they grow any bigger, they will take over the kingdom. And so what he does is he, he enslaves the people. The new Pharaoh enslaves the people for 400 years. And these are people who were supposed to be God's people. God had a plan for them. God had a purpose for them. And now they found themselves in slavery with no land of their own, uh, with very little purpose in their life. And they started crying out to God, screaming out to God. They felt forsaken by God. They felt like God had abandoned them. They felt like they had done everything they were supposed to do, and yet God left them. And maybe you're here this morning, and you feel like, I've done all the things I'm supposed to do, and yet something's going on in my life, and it feels like God has abandoned me. If that's you today, you can probably identify with these people. They cried out to God for 400 years, generation after generation after generation, who had no hope. And the Bible says that God heard their prayers and he heard their cries. And so he raised up a man named Moses to free them, to deliver them from Pharaoh. And Moses went to Pharaoh, and eight different times he said this, to the most powerful man in the ancient world, to the Pharaoh. He said, and we see it in Exodus, beginning in chapter 4. He said, let my people go so that they might worship me. Eight different times. 
he walks right up to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go so that they might worship me. God's great desire for these people was that they would move from a separation where they did not encounter God, know God, trust God, experience God's presence to a place of freedom and nearness with God. So he says, I want to free them from their slavery. And when I do that, they would come and they would worship me. Because we have to put ourselves in their mindset. We're not a slave culture today, but we were a slave culture at some point in our past. And we have to put ourselves in the mindset of being a slave for generation after generation after generation, crying out to God. The Israelite slavery was literally killing them, and they had lost all hope, and they had nothing. And then God comes, and he frees them. But he doesn't just free them so they can kind of go on their life free. He frees them for a purpose. He frees them so that they can worship him. And their freedom is so obvious. It goes from having rulers and taskmasters who would whip them and beat them and kill them to having no rulers and no taskmasters. But our freedom... And our slavery is a little more subtle. See, the Bible says that each of us, before we know God, we experience some level of slavery. Slavery to sin. And if you don't know what sin is, you can just kind of picture those destructive thoughts and words and actions that you do that that you know are hurting you, that you know are hurting other people, that you know are kind of separating you. If there is a God that separates you from God, that's sin. And the Bible says we have this slavery to sin. And it takes all kinds of forms. Broken relationships. The Bible says that's slavery. If your relationships aren't the way they should be. Or addictive patterns that we fall into, slavery. Gossip, either verbal gossip or, or Facebook gossip or Twitter gossip. Gossip is it's slavery. Materialism, money. See, the Bible says there are all these types of slavery. And we would sit here, we would say, I'm not a slave. I'm free. And God would say, yeah, but look at your life. Are there areas of your life where, where you're trapped, where you're hooked, where you're not experiencing everything I have for you? If you are, that's slavery. And God's great desire is that not, not that you would live in slavery, but that you would live in freedom. So God goes to Pharaoh through Moses, and he says, let my people go so they can worship me. And Pharaoh responds the way that any king probably would, knowing that if the Israelites leave, his economic base leaves, and his kingdom will topple, he says, not on your life. I will not let the people go. And then there begins in the book of Exodus these plagues that are uh, they're, they're, they're better than any sci-fi movie you ever saw. And they're real. So it, it's pretty incredible. You should read the book. Read the Bible. It is really exciting. Okay, the movies they make, they're good, but the book is better. I'm just going to throw it out there. Ten plagues. And they get progressively worse, and some of them are extremely odd. And then we get to the final plague, which is the death of the firstborn. And God, without getting into it, God kills all the firstborn of Egypt. And there's this wailing and this mourning and this weeping because Pharaoh wouldn't let the people go. And then in verse 31 of Exodus 12, it says this, During the night of that plague, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said to them, Get up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go and worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said. Just go, just get out. Pharaoh's distraught. His empire is crumbling. His son is dead. The firstborn are dead he says, just, just get out. And the Israelites leave. And they, some estimates say there were close to a million of them. And they, they begin this march out. And then as they leave, Pharaoh realizes if they leave, 
the kingdom will collapse. So he sends his troops after them, and they get to this sea called the Red Sea, and the troops are coming in behind them, and they think, we're all going to die tonight. And then God does something miraculous. God, God parts the sea, and the Israelites walk across the sea, and then the Egyptians come in behind them, and the water comes back down, and they die. And it's pretty incredible. And some people have said, well, you know, maybe the Red Sea only had like two to five to ten inches of water at that time. It's not really a huge miracle. I would say this. If there were only two to five to ten inches of water and all of the Egyptians died, that would be a miracle and kind of hilarious to watch. <laughs> Picture it. We're drowning. It's like stand up. You know, no, we're, ah. However God did it, God did it. Wiped them out. Dead. Nobody left. And here's the Israelites on the other side of the Red Sea, and they, they turn around and picture yourself there. Picture you've been a slave your entire life, and now for the first time you are free. You are free. Your, your captors, the people who have enslaved you, they're dead. There's nobody left, and your life is, is new. Could you imagine that? What would you do in that moment? The moment you experienced freedom for the first time, what would you do? I want to say to you, if you're enslaved today to worry or anger or fear or anything else, God's great desire for you is freedom. He doesn't want you to live that way. He has better plans for you. He wants to get you to the other side of the sea so that you can look back and say, I'm free. And then ask yourself, what would you do? The water is churning. The Egyptians are screaming. And for the first time, you know that no one is your captor. No one is your master. What would you do? Listen, I know what I would do because I do it all the time. I, I, I'm a Bears fan. I'm a Chicago Bears fan. And when God or the Bears, whoever it is, I don't really know, pulls off a miracle and the Bears win, you know what I do? I go crazy. I scream and I yell and I lose my mind because I'm a, I'm a Bears fan. And, and when they win, listen, it only happens every once in a while. But when it happens, I, I go nuts because it's the near impossible happening. It's a, it's a Thanksgiving miracle. It really is. What would you do if you realized that a miracle had just happened? Here's what they do. This is really interesting. They don't make plans for where they're going next. They don't set up a home base. Immediately on the other side of the sea, this is what they do. They worship God. They start a worship service right there. Moses grabs the priests together, and they literally, they all start to sing. And you can read, you can read the song that they sing in Exodus chapter 15. Literally, if, you, if you're old school, if you like old worship songs, go to Exodus 15. It is an old school worship song, okay? And it's really good. Put it to music. Throw it up on stage. Don't do that. Don't do that. Sorry. That was funny. That was funnier than you laughed, but that's okay. Um, cut that out of the loop. Um, Moses, the priest, they start singing this incredible song of God's freedom and goodness, and then the women, they start to dance, and they have tambourines, and they're, they're doing this like crazy dance with their tambourines. Why? Because, because they had experienced freedom for the first time. When we encounter God and experience freedom, our response should be worship. It was like they'd experienced the best gift ever. And all they could do was thank the giver of the gift by worshiping him. 
See, passionate worship, the Bible calls it zeal or or a passion, this deep kind of churning inside of you. Passionate worship, it flows naturally out of people who are experiencing freedom in their life. That's where worship comes from. Think about when you were a kid and the best gift you ever received. What was your response when you were a kid and you got the gift you'd always wanted? I know what my response was. I went crazy. I was was kind of like, like this kid up on this video. God? People who experience freedom, that's who worships God. If you're here today and you're not a a Jesus follower, I don't expect you to come in and start singing worship songs. If you want to, that's great. That's absolutely great. And we do the best we can. Our worship teams are incredibly talented to make the music good and engaging and and good for you to listen to, you know, and, and fun. But if you're not a Christian, I don't expect you to come in here and start singing. But if you are a Jesus follower and you've experienced freedom, man, the only response we have is, is to worship. Worship's about celebrating and thanking the giver of the greatest gift in human history. It's about thanking the giver of the greatest gift that you've ever received. It's not about creating something. See, people have all sorts of arguments and fights and debates about the style of worship and the feel of worship, and we try to create a certain feel in our church, and and we make no bones about it because we think it's an incredible way to engage with God. But it's not about creating something. It's It's about responding to something God has already done. Remember, at, at Christmas, God became man and he wrapped himself in flesh and he came to this world because the world was separated from sin. We were in slavery to sin and we could not connect with our creator. So God, the creator of the universe, came to earth as a man, as a child. He lived a perfect life and then he died on a cross, taking the penalty for our sin upon himself so that we could have the greatest gift ever. We could be brought back into a relationship with our God. If you're a Jesus follower, you've already been set free from from pain and death and destruction and hell because you've been brought back to God. And that's something to celebrate. And it has nothing to do with style. Worship, listen, you worship however you want to worship. But what I want to talk to you about is is that heart-level passion in worship. I used to say, man, we need to all worship with our hands in the air or clapping or something, kicking, I, I don't know, dancing, I don't know. We all need to worship some certain way, but I'm realizing more and more it's not about, it's not about what you do. It's about what's going on in here. There's a, a heart-level passion that God wants to create. See, styles change over time. A hundred years ago, they said you could only worship with an organ. Then they said, well, you can't worship with a piano. And then they said, well, you could, yeah, you can worship with a piano. That'd be okay, but you can never worship with a guitar. A guitar, that's like heretical. And then they said, well, you can have a guitar, but not an electric guitar. That'd be too much. So Okay, you can have a guitar. And then say, well, you can have an electric guitar, but not a full band, because a full band, that's like, that's anti-Jesus, okay? You can't be amplified. That's crazy. You can't have lights. See, this process has gone on and on, and it will continue to. The things we do now in another 40 years, they're going to say, wow, that was so old-fashioned, the way they did worship. They had those, just those lights going. Now we're like really modern, and we just use candles, you know? <laughs> it's not about style. It's about heart-level 
passion because we've experienced the greatest gift in the history of the world, better than Xbox, better than a new car, better than a new pair of shoes. This Christmas, we experienced Jesus Christ, and that's something that should get us excited. You should be clapping right now because this is exciting. I know we're not a clapping church, but... But we should get excited. It should draw us into worship. I say every year, man, I want, I want church service to be like Black Friday at Walmart. I want the music to start and you guys just to run. Okay, some of you, some of you were so funny on Facebook. You were like, some of you love Black Friday. Some of you railed against it. So I didn't actually post on Facebook that I actually went to Target on Black Friday. I did. But I was scared, you know? I was scared to tell you. Um, don't judge me. Don't ju- this is church. I had a great time with my family. I put my kids to bed. My wife was shopping online. I took a quick trip. A quick trip. Don't judge me. But I got to the end of this line, and it, like at 8 o'clock in two seconds, the doors opened, and it was, it was, it was not a Walmart stampede. It was a, a Petaluma Target stampede, okay? So we were kind, and we had our lattes, but we were, we were marching, okay? That's what I want for our church that's my dream for our church. The music starts and we just, we charge this place because we know that we can worship our creator in here. And if we've only got five or six songs to sing, I don't want to miss a fifth of that. I want to worship God because he's freed me. I want to get in here because he's freed me. I want, like, I just imagine someday, I love it when the zone kids came in this last week for baptisms. They sat all along the floor. I just want to see us come to the front because we just want to be, we want to be here. We want to move in. We want to engage with God. That's my great desire for you. So we'd experience worship in a new way this Christmas. Now we'd remember why we're worshiping. We're not worshiping because we love the song or we love the singer, or we like that band arrangement, or the lights are the right height. We worship because God has set us free. So the question becomes, how do we get ready to worship? Because remember, we're looking at this like kids, not like adults. We know as adults how we get ready for worship. We get up, we try not to get in a fight with our family, we come to church, we get our coffee, we walk in. That's how we, that's how we get ready for worship as adults. But Let's suspend that for a few minutes, and let's just talk about how we get ready for worship, assuming we didn't know how to get ready for worship. How would we get ready for worship? Because I guarantee if you've got a family, you've had a Sunday like this. You woke up in the morning with the best intentions of coming to church, and then the kids were acting up, and so you kind of snapped at them, and they were yelling at each other, and and you were late, or your spouse was late, so one of you is waiting in the car, honking, you know, like, let's go, we got to get there. You walk into church five minutes late— you get your kids into kids' life, but the line took like 30 seconds longer than you wanted it to, so you're already annoyed, you know. You forgot your name text, so you had to go back in. You get into church on song two, and then you realize, I forgot my coffee. So you head back to the lobby to get your coffee, and then someone tries to corner you. You see Ron out there, and he's just coming at you with a hug, and, and you're just like, how do I, you know what, can I, can I swim, Moo? Like, how do I get, a, I gotta get in. And you get into church, and it's song three, or maybe we're taking communion, and you've missed the beginning of worship altogether. And then you sit there just in this, oh, this angst, and you finish the service, and you leave, and you say, man, God just, God just didn't show up today. The Spirit just wasn't moving today. I want to tell you something. Remember, I love you. I love, I love our church. I love every one of you. Listen, God always shows up. But someone didn't show up that day, and it wasn't God. 
So how do we prepare ourselves? Because how we prepare ourselves makes all the difference. So I want to just talk about three ways we can prepare ourselves for worship. Just briefly, three ways. The first way is this. Prepare by making sure that God's my main concern. Prepare by making sure that God is my main concern. Clapping, throwing your hands in the air, screaming out loud, very normal at a football game. Very normal. Very normal at a a concert. Very normal. Clapping, singing, screaming. Not so normal at church. Feels a little awkward with 200 of your closest friends community, neighbors, whoever listening. And, and I didn't used to think that when I'd stand in the back and greet you because you weren't all hearing me. But I become acutely aware of that every time we have a baptism service because I stand right there during worship. And you're all looking in this direction. And I feel a little bit awkward. So we have to ask ourselves, who am I coming to worship? Who's my main concern? Is it what other people think about me? Because my voice sounds bad or I don't know, you know, I don't know what to do. My arms are kind of long. Do I clap? Do I keep them here? Are they like this? What do I do? Are people my main concern or is God my main concern? We have to answer that question before we set foot in church. Who's my main concern today? I love it. There's a certain couple in our church and if they ever walk in and worship has already started and I try to talk to them, they say, hey, we really love you, but we need to get in and worship God. I love that because I'm not their main concern. God's their main concern. Second thing we need to do is prepare our hearts to worship by making sure that we're not holding on to bitterness and anger and grudges. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5. He says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift, which is a way of worshiping, offering your gift at the altar, and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, he says, leave the, wor- the place of worship, leave the church, leave the gift at the altar, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and give the gift. Have you ever had Christmas with extended family? And there's some underlying tension there, and no one wants to talk about it. And it's just, it, it, it sucks the fun out of Christmas. It sucks the joy out of Christmas. If you're here today and you've got some sort of something with someone else, it will rob you of the joy of worship. It will suck the life out of you. So you need to go and be restored to that person. You need to apologize. You need to offer forgiveness. If you don't, it will hinder your ability to worship God. So we make sure God's the main focus. We make sure that our relationships are right. And then I want to say one last thing, and, and um, this is going to be the easiest to say and probably the hardest to do. We need to prepare ourselves for worship by being on time, on time. Maddie started kindergarten this year. I drop her off every morning. I want to say this. I'm very proud. I have never, never been late to drop her off at school. Never been late. My goal, 15 minutes early. Because if I'm 15 minutes early, I go in, I read to her, we have this really nice time, I meet some of the other parents, we have fun. Sometimes I'm 15, sometimes I'm five minutes early, sometimes I'm one minute early. And the one minute early is always hard because I'm literally like, we're power walking. When I had my crutches, I was power crutching into class. I'd get her in, I'd set her down, I'd kiss her forehead, and I'd run out. And she's feeling stressed out, and I'm feeling stressed out. We're all feeling anxious. If you do that coming into church, it will hinder your ability to worship God. If you come in and you're running around and you're stressed out and you're anxious, it just will. You won't be able to slow yourself down and remember the God who set you free. And if you don't remember the God who set you free, there's no, there's no real worship happening. So I want to challenge you. Come 15 minutes early. Change your mindset to say church starts at 845. That way, if you get here at 855, you're still five minutes early, and that's pretty darn good. That's pretty good. So imagine if we just started experiencing God's freedom like this. Imagine if this Christmas we spent time just reflecting on all the things God had freed us from. 
on how good God is, on how loving God is, on how powerful God is, man, it would change worship in this place. And again, I'm not so concerned, hands up, hands down, clapping, whatever, but it would change our hearts and the passion would flow out of us and people would walk into this church who don't yet know Jesus and they would say there's something different about them and I don't really even know what it is, but I'm kind of drawn to it because when those songs come on, they just, they just go for it. They just celebrate. And most importantly, most importantly, God would be blessed by our worship. God's not blessed by the sound we make. God's not blessed by the number of, of people who are in this room because we just invite Him to come. God's blessed by our hearts when we come to worship Him. And if we can remember the giver of this gift and worship Him for the gift He's given us, man, it would bless Him. So I want to give us three ways to put this into practice, and then the worship team's going to sing a couple songs. First is this. I'm going to take a step out of my comfort zone this month and try to worship God in a new way, in a passionate way. That could be raising your hands. It could be just singing for the first time. Uh, it could be clapping. It could be kneeling. It could be dancing. If, you know, for some of, some of you who are raised in more kind of expressive backgrounds, you've just been waiting for me to set you free, okay? I'm setting you free. Go, go crazy. Just go for it. Uh, the second one is this. I'm going to make worship a priority by being at church. Ooh, I, I said only, only 10 minutes early. That's not that bad. Ten minutes early. We can do that, church. We have coffee here. You don't need to stop by Starbucks. We got it right here for you, and it's free. Ten minutes early all month so we can prepare our hearts to worship. And then a third one is I'm going to sing along to worship music for 15 minutes a day, every day, just for one week. Because if you can sing in your car with people staring at you, if you can sing at home with your kids kind of laughing at you, you'll be able to sing in church with 200 other people drowning you out. You will just be able to. So, so just imagine doing that. And then I want to talk to you if you're here today and you've this is all new. This is all new. Church, God, worship, faith, brand new for you. I want to tell you this. The first step is to come into a relationship with God. I said earlier that Christmas reminds us of the greatest gift God's ever given us, that he gave us his son so that we could have a relationship with him and have our sins forgiven. If you've never experienced that gift, if you've never unwrapped that gift, today is your day to say yes to God. God loves you with an incredible love. He couldn't love you more than he does, and he wants to draw you into his presence. And if you're ready to say yes to him, it will change absolutely everything in your life. So I'm going to pray right now, and if you're ready to say yes to God, you can repeat the simple prayer after me. Would you join me as we, as we pray together? Lord Jesus, thank you so much that just like you freed your people in the book of Exodus, you have freed us. You freed us, Lord from our old ways of thinking and acting and living. You freed us from separation with you. You have freed us so that we might come and worship you. Would you remind us of that this Christmas season, Lord, that the purpose of Christmas is to celebrate the freedom that you've given us in Jesus. And would it change the way that we encounter you every day as we come into worship? And if you're here today and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you're ready to say yes, then today's your day. You can repeat the simple prayer after me. Just say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you came to this earth at Christmas. I believe that you lived a perfect life. I believe that you died on a cross. And when you did that, you took the penalty for my sin upon yourself so that I can enter into a relationship with my heavenly father so that I can experience freedom. 
today I say yes. Yes, I want this relationship that you're offering, and yes, I want you. So would you come into my life, Lord? Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit. And show me how to walk in the freedom that you offer. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, let's stand. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.